Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. Recently, I came across a quote that piqued my curiosity. It was attributed to the famous General Wellington of Waterloo fame. I made a note of it so I could share it with you sometime. Today is that time. Wellington is supposed to have said in his memoirs, and I quote, The worst moment of any campaign is waiting for the sun to rise on the morning of the battle. End quote. Can you imagine the origin of this realization, the basis and truth that brought this great and famous military commander to such a realization? After so many battles where his life had been in the balance, many of these battles were actually successes where he actually walked away with a victor's crown. Yet his summary was that the worst moment of any campaign is waiting for the sun to rise on the morning of the battle. Geared up for the intensity of battle, nerves on edge, adrenaline searching through his veins, his mind full of probabilities, plans, strategies, shouting commands to his officers, waiting for signs of the enemy's movements and their plans, prepared to adjust at a moment's notice, all in readiness, he waits the rising sun of the day of battle. Anxious moments during the night, wondering if he's planned correctly, if he will prevail on the morrow or defeat the enemy. He says his worst moment in any campaign is waiting for the sun to rise and for the moment when the command to begin the battle can be given. All in the planning, such serious effort, drawing from much experience, so many depending on his to be victorious. Some of those lives even depend on his ability, yet not knowing for sure if all this will even bring him the victory he must have. Can't you imagine him lying in his bunk the night before the battle? Surely this must be the worst moment, as he actually wrote in his memoirs. I wonder if there's a spiritual analogy to this. I Love 
I think there are several spiritual analogies that we can apply to Mr. Wellington's memoir quote. In the case of the Christian, the one whose sins are forgiven, who is cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ, there is therefore no condemnation for that one. Jesus has paid it all. For us, the anticipation that the Lord will soon return and call us away to be with him forevermore. This has an element of superlative excitement contained in it. Mr. Wellington said the worst enemy of any campaign for him was the waiting of the sun to rise on the morning of battle. His anticipation for an event that will demand everything he could call from his experiences and abilities. All his resources, both personal and eternal. For the child of God, the trump of God will sound and the call will come from glory. We will be raptured. Then we will find ourselves face to face with the Lord we love. No wonder the song says that it is a beautiful day for the Lord to come again. Any day it would be. Keep your eyes on the eastern sky in excitement and tremendous sense of anticipation. What a beautiful day for the Lord to come again today. For the Lord to take his children home today. For us, waiting for the sun to rise only gives us a hope that we cannot take away. Knowing that our God is in control of the universe and knows the way we take lends us a confidence that the world cannot understand. Each morning that he allows us to see a new sunrise gives us an expectation that this may be the day he returns for us. It is certainly not the worst moment. New every morning are your mercies, O Lord. Even so come, Lord Jesus. message for today. Here's Senior Pastor Emeritus, Alan Lee. Greetings once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are speaking on the topic, Living by the Spirit. 
And our theme verse is Galatians 5.25. If or since we were made alive by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. However, for context, and to see why the Apostle Paul gives this instruction, we are doing an exposition of the entire chapter of Galatians chapter 5. Speaking of teachers who sought to mix grace with works and law to live the Christian life, Paul says, I would they were even cut off which trouble you. In other words, the purity of the grace system in salvation is so important that false teachers should be dealt with with the utmost severity. Paul is using a strong word play here. He has just referred to those Judaizers who were teaching that circumcision must also be practiced if one were to become a child of God. So now he says, if it's anyone or anything that should be cut off, it's the false teachers themselves who try to mix law with grace in order to become a Christian or even to live the Christian life. In another place, the Apostle Paul says, they should be anathema. That is, they should be consigned to hell for teaching such a hellish doctrine. You see, my friends, Paul does not fool around or mix words when he comes to the true basis and foundation of one's eternal salvation. He doesn't care whose feelings he hurts when it comes to the truth of the gospel. Elsewhere, he also says that if any aspect of the law of works were necessary for salvation, then Christ has died in vain, meaning that his death, for which God the Father specifically assigned him to accomplish as a once-for-all sacrifice for the sins of men, it would all be useless, all without profit or merit. Paul would not and could not allow such a slap in the face of a triune God to stand, and so his condemnation of those who teach such horrendous, blasphemous doctrines must be stopped in their tracks. He is contending for the faith. Would to God we had such courageous preachers and teachers of the word of God today, a day of compromise, tolerance, political correctness, and sucking up by religious charlatans to their itching ears, hearers, and donors, who only want to be scratched and tickled by them so they could plant a seed to enrich their already lavish lifestyle. Paul condemns all such hucksters and peddlers of the word of God. So should we. So should you. Paul now goes on to explain that the liberty we have in Christ, because of its master's grace, is not a license for us to sin and to do whatever we want, and he explains for us exactly what freedom in Christ really means to the person who is living and walking by the power of the Spirit of God. Listen to his words in verses 13 and following in Galatians chapter 5. Quote, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. What a message for Emancipation Day. But we'll think about that another time. 
But what a shocker this is to the Galatians. Paul is saying that Christians have been made free by the grace of God to love and become servants of one another, of other believers. What a radical concept this is. Free to love and to serve one another, not free to please oneself, rather than to free to sin or to devour or destroy one another, the apostle says. I call this spiritual cannibalism. And that's what was happening in the Galatian church due to their openness to false teaching. They cannibalize one another as they argue and criticize one another with regards to whether one is saved by grace through faith alone or by works on the observance of rites and sacraments. That's also what was happening at Corinth, by the way, with regard to false teachers, where Paul faced a similar situation. Listen to what he says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by close people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. End of quote. In other words, they were biting and devouring or cannibalizing one another. They were not walking or living in or by the Spirit. They were not walking in love, as Paul showed them in chapter 13. They were walking according to the flesh, as though they were not believers at all. And now, what is the remedy? Paul gives it in verses 15 and 16 of our text. Listen to the word of God. Keep walking by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Then comes our theme verse for this series, where it's quoted for the first time in verse 16. Quote, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. This, my friends, is a divine solution for all that ails us spiritually, walking in or by the power of the Spirit. Paul repeats this in verse 25, which is our theme verse. But now what does it really mean to walk in the Spirit? Paul uses a present tense and a double negative here. Literally, the text could read, If, on a day-by-day basis, you continuously live by the enablement of the Holy Spirit, you will not ever fulfill the desires of the flesh. The word fulfill is the Greek word telestate, which means to complete or perfect. It comes from the word that we use for our Bible Institute, teleos. It means to be perfected or to be mature or to be complete. This is a promise, not only a command. In other words, it is impossible to walk or be controlled by the spirit and by the flesh at the same time. The desire of the flesh means cravings of the old, unregenerate self. What you were before you became a Christian, before you regenerated, before the Spirit of God came to indwell you through faith in Christ. The word flesh here, in this context, has three different meanings in Scripture. First, flesh could mean mankind in general. 
Secondly, it could mean the human body. And third, it could refer to the old sinful Adamic nature, which is the power or capacity to oppose God. The latter is what Paul is referring to in this context. It is man's innate capacity to naturally oppose God. Adam and Eve did not have this capacity before they sinned. They got it as a result of this sin. We inherited from them. So the phrase walk by the Spirit in this context refers to God living in and through the believer by the power and indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit as a result of regeneration by and through him. We as Christians are to live our daily lives by the power and enablement of God the Spirit who gives us eternal life because of our faith in Christ. Friends, listen. This is to be the normal experience of a believer. But Paul then gives the reason why the believer is to walk in and by the power of the Holy Spirit in verse 17. He says, and I quote, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you cannot do the things that you want to do. End of quote. Now, this is how I paraphrase it for us to understand it a little better. The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the indwelling spirit, and the indwelling spirit desires what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want to do. In other words, there is an ongoing spiritual conflict within the life and being of every believer. There is an antithesis between the flesh and the spirit. Paul describes this conflict in detail. What we are in Christ versus what is left of us in being in Adam. In other words, he described exactly what this is all about in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 12. Now, this is so important, I'm going to take time to read the entire passage because, after all, it is the word of God that I want you to hear and not the word of man. Please listen carefully. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 5 and going through verse 12. Quote, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of the sinful nature can never please God. But, talking to Christians now, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember, my friends, that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Paul goes on in verse 10. Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. 
Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. End of quote. My friends, we have to make the choice as to which nature or capacity we will yield to, the flesh or the spirit. Paul says we have an obligation, if we are indwelled by the Spirit, to live under his control and enablement. We have no obligation to do so as far as the flesh or all nature is concerned. Paul says to do otherwise, in other words, not to submit to the control of the Spirit, is to be living a lie. We say that we have the Spirit and we are living by the Spirit, but yet we are allowing the old nature, corrupt nature to guide us. Paul said, that's a lie, you hypocrite. To be Christian, then, we must choose to live by the Spirit. And that's what we are trying to deal with here in this series of messages. We trust that you'll come to understand it more and truly allow the Spirit of God to enable you in your Christian life. Live, walk by the Spirit. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. There forevermore to stay. The great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment, for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together, when the saints shall leave the ground. And our toiling will be happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again, I am listening 
Jesus Christ could come again.